Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by Satsearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello and welcome to the episode. Today I'm joined by Kaki Roadway and Patrick Van Putt from Bradford Space. Bradford Space is a widely experienced US-owned business with operations in New York, the Netherlands, Sweden, Luxembourg and Seattle. The business develops propulsion systems, avionics, attitude and orbit control technology, microgravity workspaces and provides logistics services for missions beyond low Earth orbit. Bradford Space is also a SatSearch member. Kaki is Director of Business Development at the company, and Patrick is Managing Director of European Operations. Today, we're going to discuss green propulsion in small satellites. So firstly, hello, Kaki and Patrick. Welcome to the Space Industry Podcast. And is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? No, I think you've done pretty well. Thank you for uh, organizing this and uh, happy to, uh, to chime into your questions today. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much. Great. Fantastic. Well, uh, let's let's dive into the topic. So, Today, we're going to be covering uh, a number of areas related to recent developments in high-performance green propulsion, HPGP. Now, uh, this has been a core focus of Bradford for a number of years, so I wondered if you could provide a quick overview of the evolution of HPGP and its maturity towards a TRL-9 technology, uh, as well as maybe how it's utilized in the industry by satellite manufacturers. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, just a, a, a brief history. Bradford ECAPS HPGP systems were developed in Sweden by the Swedish Space Corporation um, as a low toxicity propulsion solution using ADN. So uh, in 2010, the first one Newton thruster was launched on the, uh, the Prisma satellite. So that was operated until 2015. And uh, in 2017, SSC sold ECAPS to Bradford Engineering, uh, which is now the uh, the U.S. part of the U.S. Uh, owned company of AIAC, uh, and today uh, Patrick can correct me, but there are over ninety one Newton thrusters operating in orbit on twenty three spacecraft. Absolutely correct. Yeah, brief, brief history. Yeah, if you and I think part of the question, if I may chime in, is also on the technical evolution of how do you get to TRL nine, right? So, and this is the the typical chicken and egg scenario. So of course, there was always a desire to go green propellants. And I think this is already existing for many years. Uh, when ECAP started 20 years ago, um, in order to get to the market and to offer something beyond what was utilized and used at that point in time, which is mostly hydrogen, uh, we needed to come up with some key differentiators. And in order to come up with key differentiators and to get flight opportunities, you also need to have drop-in replacement. So that was actually the original plan is to define unique selling propositions for a new technology, which is better, well, uh, faster, cheaper, better, if you would put it the American way. Uh, but also, how do you fly these things on existing systems? So originally, the focus was to uh, define it to the optimum performance, get the best ISP of the market, get it able to, to run it as hydrogen thrusters, but also to be able to drop in as hydrogen thruster. In other words, getting it into a traditional hydrogen system and run it the way hydrogen thrusters would be run. 
So, I mean, different technology it requires some different uh, ways of operation, which you'll learn later in, in, in the question scenario, I would think so. Uh, but so we defined operational box and scenarios in order to be able to operate in an environment and to be able also to show the benefits of this HPGP technology. And that was the cool thing. We got an opportunity supported by the Swedish authorities and government is to fly a one-to-one -one comparative uh, propulsion system on the Prisma satellite, as uh, Kaki just mentioned, which was a unique opportunity to fly a full hydrogen system and a full HPGP system and to do an in-orbit one-to-one comparison and operation scenario and show the true benefits of this technology. So that's how we got to uh, TRL-9, and I think that has been the the case for many years, the last couple of decades, and things are changing rapidly now in the new space era where flying things and getting to TRL-9 is much easier than it was 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, we were fully reliant on uh, the, the government to support us to fly the first time, gain confidence, uh, get this TRL-9 status, and since then, I can tell you that since Prisma, we have done many evolutions on the one Newton thruster uh, in order to make it better, in order to get better supply chain, to industrialize it, and also to make it more reliable and robust for longer duration, also deep space missions. So beyond the original expectations of a one Newton thruster. So many evolutions there. Oh, that's fascinating. It's quite a long, uh, long journey and um, very interesting that you were able to do that one-to-one -one comparison early on. I think that's a... Uh, something quite different in the industry as, as you discuss the opportunities for um, in-orbit demonstration today are, are a lot greater than they were at the time. So, Yeah, I think that was the coolest uh, asset we, we were offered at that time because it uh, it removes all the ambiguity between the one or the other performance and you can argue on several things and people may criticize certain things and if you now do it on the space, same spacecraft and do two independent systems, run them and show the benefits, that was really... Uh, a very unique opportunity. Absolutely, and and on that there there are several different solutions, you know, for propulsion systems depending on the size of the spacecraft that's uh, that's in the mission. So, so for what range of satellite uh, sizes and mission mission profiles do you think HPGP solutions are an ideal fit? Okay, uh, first of all, I think like like anything else, HPGP monopropellant solutions are. Uh, not a not a, a one one solution fits all kind of applications. Uh, if you see the size of spacecraft, we would we are usually picturing anywhere between fifty and four hundred kilogram platforms. Uh, typical uh, ESPA ESPA Grande type of uh, rideshare opportunities, where the advantage of twenty percent more storage uh, capability of this propellant gives twenty percent more performance in the traditional volume that pays off in rideshare opportunities. So that's why I think for the for a long time and still in the future, we position ourselves in this 50 to 400 kilogram range. But again, nothing is mutually exclusive, so we can go bigger. Uh, we can go on space tracks in the future and serve other applications. But if you really look at most value for money, I think that's the sweet spot in the market. Excellent. That's, that's interesting. Now, the um, the propulsion fuel itself, HPGP itself, has various advantages in terms of storage, handling, shipping, etc., uh, because of the very nature of, of the compounds. Can you sort of put these into perspective compared with more traditional propulsion solutions that have been popular, such as hydrazine? Sure. Um, I mean, the, the, the biggest um, element in non-toxic pro uh, propellant technologies, as we are discussing here today, is in, indeed in storage handling shipping. 
So the whole idea is to uh, make sure that the total cost of ownership of a given system using this uh, monopropellant uh, technology is actually cheaper than the competitive hydrogen product. I mean, that's the focus of a lot of spacecraft manufacturers, and that's what it really is all about. I mean, if you then on top can are able to offer uh, more capabilities and more performance for the same volume, uh, then, I mean, then we are talking business, uh, obviously. If specifically you talk about storage handling and shipping, the ultimate goal we'd like to achieve with this technology is to be able to fuel at a factory, which means we build a, you build a spacecraft or we build a, a drop-in propulsion system, we fuel it in our facilities, we test it all out, and we ship it on a commercial aircraft to the end user, which integrates it on the spacecraft, and then the spacecraft moves on and be effectively be launched. So that's the dream scenario. The current situation is is that we are able to ship the propellant and and the well the propellant on a commercial aircraft under a dot 1.4s um, license, which means just barrels of propellant on commercial aircraft as we fly overseas. We will be joined by a number of cans of this HPGP technology. It can be stored in a non-controlled environment. It's safe for human health. So in terms of handling, storing, and 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 dealing with it. You don't. You typically don't need these cape suits and all the precautions you would require for hydrazine handling. So, as a matter of fact, you ship it on a commercial aircraft. It can be just truck loaded and shipped to the uh, launch uh, site. We, without too many precautions, we can just fuel it into spacecraft with not much protection clothing and 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 things around it. Uh, we can check it all out and it can be launched. So, inherently, it is very safe. And with all the things I just mentioned, in the end of the day, the cost of the total cost of ownership and the the handling fees are significantly lower than hydrogen. And if you would wish so, you could even drink the propellant if you pour it with a lot of water afterwards. Uh, you won't die from it. So it's uh, a much safer solution. Interesting, interesting. It conjures up images of people drinking the biofuel at, uh, <laughs> for their cars in, in different countries around the world. So. Um, yeah, indeed, it won't kill you, but it won't make you stronger. It's still a high energetic solution, but uh, in this case, if you uh, dilute it in a lot of water, so if you drink a lot of water afterwards, it will not uh, result in, in uh, human injury or death. Yeah, well, I think that hammers home the safety point, that that fact. So that's that's really interesting. Now, apart from these advantages, I think you've you've touched on most of the things there, but are there any other significant sort of aspects of the the delivery, the quality, reliability? Uh, that makes that helps HPGP to stand out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's it's important for listeners to know that uh, we've never had a failure in orbit. So that is one very strong distinction that we that we have. But uh, there are benefits at the spacecraft level with the integration and lower overall propulsion system lifecycle costs as well. So uh, there's. There's a lot of advantages. You can you can certainly find these on our on our website. But just to to go through a few, um, increased performance. As I said, I'm it, life cycle cost. Uh, extended missions are uh, are definitely advantages and capabilities that HPGP has. Uh, increased rideshare opportunities. Um, so now, as you have a lot of these. Uh, 
launch companies, launch vehicles like like SpaceX, um, and then you have now a lot of the these smaller launch vehicles coming online. There's going to be a lot more rideshare opportunities for spacecraft, um, and so as Patrick just mentioned and and, and outlined, because of the safety of HPGP, it, it makes it a whole lot easier to to do this as a as a rideshare opportunity and use HPGP. As I as I said, I mean that's some of the, the the new opportunities. You know, we also in our in our family of HPGP systems, we have uh, thrusters that can fit on on CubeSats. So on the on the new opportunities level, it say a university or other small company who is developing small CubeSats. Um, can now have propulsion and and be able to to maneuver and go where they want. So the other part of this is, uh, besides being environmentally safe, it it enables a more profitable business for the customers who are who are using this, and um, you know because of lower costs and higher performance. You can get more, so we say, bang for bang for the buck on on your spacecraft, and um, so it, you know, also reduces the environmental impact. So these are some very distinct advantages that that we have over, say, something like like hydrazine, um, and and over EP as well because of the higher performance that you can get on HPGP. Great. It seems like a lot of this. Is uh, enabling space missions and teams to to have more op- opportunities and be more versatile. Whether that's because they can fuel at the factory or because the fact that it's easier to handle um, the the propulsion, the propellant, and and then they can do more in space, as you mentioned, potentially. So um, that's really interesting, and I think that's a, that's a message alongside the total um, lower cost of ownership and you know high reliability. I think that's something that's important for teams, and obviously the uh, factors that play into the design of, of satellites are not just dependent on the um, the goal of the mission themselves there are also broader regulations and compliance that the teams have to have to adhere to and and in that I think a lot of people are increasingly worried about the the environment in in low earth orbit and, and other orbits potentially being becoming more crowded with the constellations out there and so do you do you see the sort of design choices for small satellites being influenced by the the threat of space debris and the overall space situational awareness requirements in the coming years and to follow up will the do you see hpgp playing a role in this in mitigating these these potential impacts yes i think absolutely i mean if if you look at well, design choices, uh, space debris rapidly is becoming a major concern for all of us. And I think this is uh, on the on the good and the bad uh, initiated by SpaceX with their Starlink constellation. Like every month we, we see 52, 70, 64 spacecraft going up and multiple hundreds and even thousands of these small spacecraft are up there. I think the lack to, we have, we are facing today is that we are truly lacking uh, regulatory uh, requirements for space debris and for deorbiting. Although I think SpaceX, as an example, is also serious about deorbiting possibilities that if there's an issue with payload and spacecraft, they would be able to deorbit it and replace it with some new uh, satellites. So I think that's a good scenario. 
Um, some companies made space debris removal a living, like uh, Astroscale, the uh, venture from Japan who uh, raised a lot of funding and which we happily joined in their first undertaking on LSAD uh, to do the first in-orbit demonstration of a debris removal vehicle. And I think HPGP plays a role in all these things, including space situational awareness by being a chemical propulsion system, be able to act fast, uh, be, be cheap. Uh, remember that I said earlier, uh, fueled at the factory. So having a spacecraft ready, which can be launched and fueled already when needed and being part of a replacement and operation plan for constellations like Kuiper or Starlink by effectively just assuming or, or taking into account the number of failures in orbit and having a number of uh, ECAPS HPGP propelled satellites around for removing failed spacecraft which do not have the opportunity to deorbit themselves. I think this is rapidly becoming a business in itself. And, uh, well, as I earlier noted, SpaceX is helping a lot by getting hundreds and thousands of spacecraft in orbit for, for that. So... And yeah, again, we are happy to have joined Astroscale, but I think there's a lot more opportunity and a lot more future needs for, for this. And chemical propulsion will play a major role in that. We are convinced of that. Yeah. And, and let me just add, I mean, as as, as Patrick has mentioned, uh, HPGP is already playing a role in uh, in this mitigation, you know, being the Astroscale propulsion system, for example. And so we we foresee further development because... Here in the U.S., one of the things that was proposed uh, a couple years ago, actually, it was a requirement that came out by the U.S. government that said uh, any new satellites had to have uh, maneuverability. So be, be able to, to deorbit, uh, be able to avoid collisions. That was, there was a report that came out. There was a, a requirement that was that was produced and then quickly retracted because the industry had not made provisions for that. So it was kind of a surprise here, but that will be forthcoming again. Um, because as you said, as we start to see a lot of overcrowding in space and in the uh, earth orbit, there will be, there will be policy requirements. I, in fact, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see that by the end of this year, uh, at least coming from the, from the U S side, um, and then probably going out to the rest of the world um, following that. So it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, of when. And um, we're ready, as we said. Um, we're already playing a role. So we expect to play a larger role. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, many people would be surprised if such regulation came into force, and and it would be interesting to see how the market adapts. I mean, again, it's back to, to versatility, right? So uh, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll see. And okay, so to take things further away from the Earth, <laughs> I, my next question would be, how relevant do you think HPGP propulsion systems are in interplanetary or deep space contexts? Kanki, is this something you would uh, make a first comment on? Oh, sure. Okay. So Bradford Space is developing a transport vehicle. We call it, we call it Square Rocket. And again, you can, you can find this, you can find the payload planner's guide on our website. Uh, but this is a, a new rideshare compatible spacecraft for space to space to space transport. So getting 
small satellites beyond LEO is, is the goal for this. And on Square Rocket, we are using the 1 Newton and the 22 Newton HPGP. So uh, this is, it's essentially a third stage that will get small sats from LEO to HEO, GEO, cislunar orbits. Uh, it's propulsion system is a new propulsion system in development, the, the system as a whole, anyway, and Patrick, you can, you can explain on this uh, a little further, but it's, it's going to be a pump-fed HPGP system, which is in development right now. Yes, exactly. And this is uh, in our master business plan. We want to offer uh, to go with it based on HPGP technology anywhere beyond LEO. So interplanetary deep space is the mission concept. Uh, it will include, as we discussed in the previous uh, disc, uh, round, uh, space debris removal is an option. Um, space situational awareness is an option. Uh, cislunar uh, orbits are options. And if, if you want to do these things and want to break away from Earth and go interplanetary, you need uh, almost inevitably need a chemical propulsion state. So we are with our uh, business plan, the square rocket, we are looking at more propellant utilization in a given volume by square tanks. That's why square rocket. As Kaki noted, we will uh, define a pump-fed system in order to have better uh, use of, uh, of of propellant and of course it's fully based on HPGP technology so inevitably a whole business plan is based on this technology we call it as we are the, the number one true green non-toxic propulsion technology around here with a tier online status as we just started the discussion of this podcast we believe we have the golden egg in technology and are a decade um, in, in, in advance of the competition on, on, on these technologies and again, nothing is mutually exclusive. Electric propulsion is around, and uh, but there will be a lot of opportunities uh, utilizing chemical propulsion technologies. And I think the performance characteristics of our HPGP technology stand very well to uh, serve a large portion of the market. Oh, interesting. That's that's great. And I guess a follow-up question then that also relates to um, the versatility and the change in applications of the of the same core technology. We know that there are various projects underway discussing the refueling of spacecraft in in geo primarily. Do you foresee that there will be cases where this could could occur in Leo in certain applications or services? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you see companies in the US, uh, startups like OrbitFab are already thinking about uh, Leo kind of refueling systems. Um, they are obviously considering HPGP as an option. And the more spacecraft we, it would utilize and use our technology, the more refueling would be desirable. And indeed, one could think about uh, getting refueling stations and having this kind of propellant in orbit. You are uh, being dropped off low Earth orbit. You uh, make a few maneuvers and get to uh, a, a more convenient orbit, let's say, uh, in which you consumed a vast majority of the propellant you can refuel and actually go further in, in in space or if you want to come back to earth you can consider refueling in leo to come back to earth as, as well so there's a lot of opportunities created and i think we we strongly believe although it's a bit early maybe early adoption but leo uh, refueling options will also play a major role in the future business utilization of uh, any 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 space exploration yeah, and let me let me just add if if someone out there listening to this is is interested in doing this and and using LMP and refueling, 
uh, please contact us. Let us let us know because we're we're available to help develop this system, um, put this together. Um, obviously, we we would have a stake in um, in this because using our propellant, using propulsion systems. So yeah, we we would be very very interested in helping them develop this and work with them to produce a really good system. Interesting. It's a, yes, a, an interesting application area. And um, I mean, one of several that you've mentioned that such such uh, propulsion technologies unlock for, for the industry. So um, the, my final question builds on that. I was going to ask, apart from the some of the innovations that we've discussed, where do you see the market heading in the next five years? You know, what, what areas are you most excited by or what what gives you, you know, pause to reflect on, on certain parts of the of the industry? Yeah, that's a, that's a, the usual very interesting question. Um, I think when we extrapolate where the market is heading towards today, I think it's uh, clear that the more capable, smaller spacecraft is a, is a main focus and a lot of developments are ongoing. Uh, lower cost rideshare launch opportunities are inevitably a key factor in that. I think this is something where uh, cheap uh, launch opportunities is the uh, SpaceX Starship, if once this would be an operation, there would be such a tremendous amount of payload which can be brought into orbit. I think this will, again, change the paradigm shift of uh, launching satellites into orbit. Um, yes, and I mean, there is any any spacecraft which is defined, whether small or big, will need propulsion in the end of the day. So the larger the market grows, the more opportunities, non-toxic propulsion technologies will play an effect in it. And that's the current market evolution. The interesting thing is that the market is defined by just a number of players like SpaceX and, and, and soon others will, will join, I'm sure. But they are defining a way in the traditional telecommunication, Earth observation that kind of thing. So the traditional market where we are after is in five years is to create our own market. And that's why our Square Rocket um, solutions and business plan we looked at is to have services of any kind to go anywhere from Leo. So undefined for the moment, but with our square rocket, we try to define our own market uh, and to define new opportunities together with partners and customers and people who want services. So we are listening very carefully to the market. And again, we are after not just to create a Me Too spacecraft in an evolving market, but we want to create a completely new area of space travel. And as we call in our business plan nicely, capturing the solar system with our square rocket. And it's all based on HPGP technology and the subject of this uh, this discussion. Fantastic. Well, uh, best of luck with uh, with all of these plans and, and the development of this of this new market. I think uh, you've got yeah a great heritage at Bradford uh, over the years. And so it's, it's been really interesting to learn from you both about this, uh, this area of the technology. Um, so yeah, thank you very much, both of you, for being a guest on today's podcast. Um, we really appreciate you sharing all the insights with the community. Okay, you're very welcome. And I uh, hope this podcast is uh, listened to by many. And if, again, uh, if people want to reach out to us, uh, feel free to jump on the website, bradfordspace.com, and uh, drop, us, drop us a note, and we're happy to assist you and help you to go anywhere you want to go from Leo. Thanks, guys. That's great. And to all our listeners out there, please remember you can find out more information about Bradford Space on satsearch.com. 
On the platform, you can also make requests for quotes, more information about products, documentation, introductions to businesses, and whatever else you might need for your trade study or procurement purposes. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to satsearch.com for more information on the space industry today, or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, or whichever podcast service you typically use.